0: Chapter 16 of The Laughing Cavalier Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melvin Lee The Laughing Cavalier Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Ortsey Chapter 16 Layden it seemed that from some church-tower far away a clock struck the hour of midnight when the sled at last came to a halt worn out with nerve-racking thoughts as well as with the cruel monotony of the past four hours gilda felt her soul and body numb and lifeless as a stone there was much running and shouting around the vehicle of horses hoofs resounding against rough cobblestones of calls for ostler the landlord then for a while, comparative quietude. Maria still snored unperturbed, and Gilda, wide-eyed and with beating heart, awaited further events. Firstly, the hood of the sled in which she lay was lifted off. She could hear the ropes and straps being undone, the tramp of feet all round her, and an occasional volley of impatient oaths. Then out of the darkness a pleasant voice called her somewhat preemptorily by name. Mayfrau Berison she did not reply but lay quite still with wide-open eyes like a bird that has been tracked down and knows that it is watched maria uttered a loud groan and tried to roll over on her side where have those murderers taken us now she muttered through the veil that still enveloped her mouth the pleasant voice close to gilda's ear now called out more loudly here pythagoras Socrates, lift the mayfrau out of the sleigh, and carry her up to the room, which the landlord hath prepared for the ladies. Maria immediately gave vent to violent shrinks of protest. "'How dare ye touch me?' she screamed at the top of her voice. "'Ye murdering devils dare but lay a finger on a respectable woman, and God will punish you with pestilence and dislocation and—' it must be presumed that neither pythagoras nor socrates were greatly upset by Mayfrow's curses for gilda who was on the alert for every movement and for every sound was well aware that maria's highly respectable person was presently seized by firm hands and that the shawl round her face was pressed more tightly against her mouth for her screams sounded more muffled and that despite her struggles her cries and her kicking she was lifted boldly out of the sled when these disquieting sounds had died down the same pleasant voice broke in once again on gilda's obstinate silence "May frau Beristin, it reiterated once again dundersten but tis no use lying mum there and pretending to be asleep it continued after a while since gilda certainly had taken no notice of the call that old woman made enough noise to wake the dead still not a sound from gilda who more like cowering bird than ever was trying with widely dilated eyes to pierce the darkness around her in order to see something of the enemy she saw the outline of a plumed hat like a patch of ink against the sky above and also a pair of very broad shoulders that were stooping toward the floor of the sled hey shouted the enemy with imperturbable cheerfulness leave that door wide open i'll carry the jungfrau in myself she seems to be unconscious the words roused gilda out of her attitude of rigid silence the words which she looked on as an awful threat and also the sensation "'that the loose bonds which had pinioned her down to the vehicle were being undone. "'I'm not unconscious,' she said aloud, and quite calmly. "'I was quite aware just now that you laid rough hands on a helpless woman. "'Since I am equally helpless, and in your power, I pray you to command what I must do. "'Come, that's brave. I knew that you could not be asleep.' "'Rejoined the enemy with inveterate good-humor.' But for the moment, Mayfrau, I must ask you to descend from this sleigh. It has been a vastly uncomfortable vehicle for you to travel in, I fear me, but it was the best that we could get in Haarlem on New Year's Day. And you will deign to enter this humble hostelry. You will find the Mayfrau there, a moderately good supper, and something resembling a bed, all of which, I am thinking, will be highly acceptable to you. While the enemy spoke, gilda had a few seconds in which to reflect above all things she was a woman of sense and one who valued her own dignity she knew quite well that the making of a scene outside an inn in a strange town and at this hour of the night could but result in a loss of that dignity which she so highly prized seeing that she was entirely at the mercy of men who were not likely to yield either to her protests or to her appeals therefore when she felt that she was free to move she made every effort to raise herself uncomfortably these long hours of weary motionless lying on her back had made her limbs so numb that they refused her service she made one or two brave attempts to hide her helplessness, but when she wanted to draw up her knees, she nearly cried with pain of trying to move them out of their cramped position. It were wiser, methinks, quoth the enemy, with a slight tone of mockery in his cheerful voice, it were wiser to accept the help of my arms. They are strong, firm, and not cramped. Try them, Mayfrau, you will have no cause to regret it quite involuntarily for of a truth she shrank from the mere touch of this rascal who obviously was in the pay of stoutenburg and doing the latter's infamous work for him quite involuntarily then she placed her hand upon the arm which he had put out as a prop for her it was as firm as a rock leaning on it somewhat heavily she was able to struggle to her knees this made her venture some she tried to stand up but fatigue the want of food the excitement and anxiety which she had endured combined with the fact that she had been in a recumbent position for many hours caused her to turn desperately giddy she swayed like a young sapling under the wind and would have fallen but that the same strong arm firm as a rock was there to receive her ere she fell i suppose that dizziness deprived her of her full senses else she would never have allowed that knave to lift her out of the sled and then to carry her into the building and up some narrow and very steep stairs but this diogenes did do with but scant ceremony he thought her protests foolish and her attempts at lofty disdain pitiable she was after all but a poor helpless scrap of humanity so slight and frail that as he carried her into the house there was grave danger of his crushing her into nothingness as she lay in his arms despite her pride and her aloofness he found it in his heart to pity her just now had she been fully conscious she would have hated to see herself pillowed thus against the doublet of so contemptible a knave and here she was absolutely handed over body and soul to a nameless stranger who in her sight was probably no better than a menial and this by the cynical act of one who next to her father was her most natural protector yes indeed he did pity her for she seemed to him more than ever like a poor little song-bird whom a lout had tortured for his own pleasure by plucking out its feathers one by one it seemed monstrous that so delicate a creature should be the victim of men's intrigues and passions why even her breath had the subtle scent of tulips as it fanned his cheeks and nostrils when he stooped in order to look on her in the meanwhile he had been as good as his word he had pushed on to leyden in advance of the cortege had roused the landlord of this hostelry and the serving wenches and scattered money so freely that despite the lateness of the hour a large square room the best in the house and scrupulously clean as to the red-tiled floor and walnut furniture was at once put at the disposal of the ladies of so noble a travelling company the maids were sent flying hither and thither one into the kitchen to make ready some hot supper the other to the linen-press to find the finest set of bed-linen all sweetly laid by in rosemary diogenes still carrying gilda pushed the heavy panelled door open with his foot and without looking either to the right or left of him made straight for the huge open hearth wherein already logs of pine-wood had been set ablaze and beside which stood an armchair covered with utrecht velvet into its inviting and capacious depths he deposited his inanimate burden and only then did he become aware of two pairs of eyes which were fixed upon him with very different expression a buxom wench in ample wide kirtle of striped duffel had been busy when he entered in spreading clean linen sheets upon the narrow little bed built in the panelling of the room from under her quaint winged cap of starched lace a pair of very round eyes blue as the rhine peeped in naive undisguised admiration on the intruder whilst from beneath her disordered coif, maria threw glances of deadly fury upon him could looks but kill maria certes would have annihilated the low rascal who had dared to lay hands upon the noble young frau but our friend diogenes was not a man to be perturbed either by admiring or condemning looks he picked up a footstool from under the table and put it under the young frau's feet then he looked about him for a pillow and with scant ceremony took one straight out of the hands of the serving wench who was just shaking it up ready for the bed his obvious intention was to place it behind the young frau's head but at this act of unforgettable presumption, Maria's wrath cast aside all restraint. Like a veritable fury, she strode up to the insolent rascal and snatched the pillow from him, throwing on him such a look of angry contempt as should have sent him groveling on his knees. "'Keep thy blood cool, Mayfrau,' he said, with the best of humor. Thy looks have already made a weak-kneed coward of me.' with the dignity of an offended turkey-hen maria arranged the pillow herself under her mistress's head having previously shaken it and carefully dusted off the blemish caused upon its surface by contact with an unclean hand as for the footstool she would not even allow it to remain there where that shame unclean hand had placed it she kicked it aside with her foot and drew up her small round stature in a comprehensive gesture of outraged pride diogenes made her low bow sweeping the floor with his plumed hat the serving wench had much ado to keep serious countenance so comical did the mayfrau look in her wrath and so mirth-provoking the gentleman with his graceful airs and unruffled temper anon laughter tickled her so that she had to run quickly out of the room in order to indulge in a fit of uncontrolled mirth away from the reproving glances of Mayfrau. it was the pleasant sound of that merry laughter outside the door that caused the jongejuffrouw to come to herself and to open wide wondering eyes she looked around her vaguely puzzled taking in the details of the cosy room the crackling fire the polished table the inviting bed that exhaled an odor of dried rosemary then her glance fell on diogenes who was standing hat in hand in the center of the room with the light from the blazing logs playing upon his smiling face and the immaculate whiteness of his collar she frowned and he who stood there carelessly expectant could not help wondering whether with that swift contemptuous glance which she threw on him she had already recognized him Mayfrau, he said thus checking with a loud word the angry exclamation which hovered on her lips if everything here is not entirely in accordance with your desires i pray you but command and it shall be remedied if human agency can but contrive to do so as for me I am entirely at your service. Your majordomo, your servant, your outrider, anything you like to name me. Send but for your servant if you have need of aught. Supper will be brought up to you immediately, and in the meanwhile I beg leave to free you from my unwelcome company. Already there was a goodly clatter of platters and of crockery outside, and as the wench re-entered anon, bearing a huge tray on which were set out several toothsome things diogenes contrived to make his exit without encountering further fusillades of angry glances he joined his friends in the tap-room downstairs and as he was young vigorous and hungry he set to with them and ate a hearty supper but he spoke very little and the rough jests of his brother philosophers met with but little response from him End of chapter 16